Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey guys, welcome to the Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals. We get their views on the latest sporting issues. Today, we have a stud of a sevens player. He was a 2016 Rookie of the Year and is now one of the core members of the Aussie Sevens squad. How is quarantine in Australia going for you, Henry Hodgson? Hey, boys. Um, thanks for having me on. Stud of a sevens player. Gosh, <laughs> I'm <flattered>. Feeling good <laughs> already. Um, look, quarantine here has been, oh, let's be honest, it's been boring. But um, I think for everyone, it's been, it's been essential. But we're getting through it and... Um, Hopefully, um, we'll be back on the field playing soon. Mm-hmm. So obviously, talk about that. Have you guys had any inkling about when the world, what's going to happen with the World Series and how it's going to restart back up? Yeah, well, Sevens is a tough one, I guess. It relies so much on international travel. Like, we yeah. play 10 tournaments a year, um, like on a normal calendar year, and it's 10 different spot- stops around the world. So... We're always on the move, um, and obviously right now, not many countries are travelling and not allowing their residents and their citizens to either leave or come back in at the moment, as we all know. So, look, World Rugby, I know, are really keen to push um, for the last four tournaments to be played this year, which is Hong Kong, Singapore, and London, Paris. Um, I think for World Rugby's sake, it would there would be happy to get the, the games back broadcasted um, and for the players sake too like we've, we've done nothing for three or four months so I know they're pushing for it uh, if it gets done who knows it, it, I'm sure there's a lot of teething issues to get to get through but um, yeah it's, the Sevens World's on a bit of a pause at the moment and it's been tough yeah mm. sure so 2016 what a year for you so you came out straight out of school made Rookie of the Year and travelled the world. What was that like as, I guess, a fresh 18-year-old? Yeah, it was, it was pretty unreal. It, it happened really quickly. Um, like I said, it was my first year out of school. Um, and, you know, I was a baby, 18, pretty sheltered life up until then, really. And um, 
you know, you get thrown into a very competitive environment very quickly. And I think it's, it's sink or, sink or swim. Um, and like, like any competitive sport. And I think I really enjoyed that environment and the Australian men's team was quite an old team at the time. And I was the youngest by a long while. And I think that was tough at first, but in the long run, it made it a lot better for me. They, they pushed me and I, and I grew and developed from that. And all of a sudden, I found myself going to most of the stops and getting, getting awards at the end of the year. <laughs> so I think one thing which me and Matt want to know is like a typical day of like an Aussie Sevens player. Say it was the day before the start of the tournament. Like what was sort of, do you have any pre-match rituals or anything interesting which the squad you do as a squad or individually? Yeah, it's a strange. It is strange because you play three days in one game. Um, you want a good draw because if you've got a bad draw, you're up early. And you're up early playing against not many people in the crowd. It feels like you're back playing under 10s um, on, on the fifth paddock um, with mum and dad and the dog watching. So good draw is crucial. Get a bit of an extra sleep in. The crowd can roll in. Um, so, yeah, you wake up. You can't... We, I don't know if you boys know, but when we tour, um, all the teams stay in the same hotel. So, um, you know, it's, it's always an interesting two weeks away or three weeks away. Um, you know, you share the, the flat, um, your, your level with maybe the South Africans and the, and the Kiwi team, and you might have them both in your pool. So you see them all week, and then you kind of see each other in the elevator going down, and you know you're going to play each other. Um, but I like that. You, you get to know the boys from the other team reasonably well so after you get through the small talk you kind of get out in the field uh, you're warming up I don't really have any pre-game rituals like I go through the same the same kind of kind of exercises and drills that I do to prepare my body um, and I'm pretty fastidious on that like I, I keep them all the same because um, I know what works for my body and it can get a bit boring and tedious because you do it six times in a weekend but I know for me um, it works. Other boys, yeah, they they have their own little their own little strange things they like to do. I know uh, Joshy Coward is one of the new boys, very confident. He loves to just walk around naked. He says he feels makes him feel a bit relaxed. So you've got him walking around somewhere, and you're sharing a room with another with another team, and they're kind of looking over like what's going on over here. But works for him, and whatever works for you, I guess the boys just roll with it. You talk about how obviously during the tournaments you're all quite talking like all the teams here. Are there any of the other teams which you like Australia get on pretty well with? Are you sort of closer with say South Africa than you are with Fiji or Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I think if you ask anyone on the seventh circuit, they'd say the South Af- the South Africans are the most polite and gentleman like, are uh, really good blokes. Um so we do get on very well with the South Africans. Um you know, every year's different with with new people coming in and and um, and changes of the guard and old and old kind of friendships leaving. Um, on a, on a personal note, I've I've always really enjoyed the English boys, Tom Mitchell, um, and that kind of crew. Uh, it's funny, like there's very strong rivalry, but the Aussies and the Poms very similar. Um, obviously, the Argentinians and a bit harder to speak to in the French because of the language barrier, but um, yeah, you've got your favourites and you've got, you got the teams that you don't like so much as well. <laughs> so you speak about sort of preparation before a game. So with the 15s, you might have a week or two weeks before to sort of 
um, I guess, get your tactics in for a specific team and to, I guess, scout them and so on. But when you play in the sevens, you've got a weekend and a whole handful of games. Do you, as a sevens team, do you prepare to play against a particular team or do you only focus on your own game to make it as best as you can? Yeah, I think that's one of the massive differences between the two games. And they really are becoming quite separate games, I think, Mm. as as years go on and on, sevens is becoming more and more professionalised and an individual program in itself. And one of those differences is definitely like 15s, you know who you're playing for a week. You know, you, you prep all week. Um, you got all that tactic and it's so so tactical and clinical and you know the game plan to a T. And if you don't, you're probably not doing your job well enough. Um, with sevens, you know your pool. Um, so you know the three, the other three teams that you'll play. But after that, it's, you know, whoever, whoever turns up on the day. So we do have specific game plans for specific teams. Um, for instance, when we play the Kiwis, we know they're a big, powerful team and they like to slow the game down because they've got a lot of power runners and bigger boys and they take you on physically and kind of, they kind of want to step through you. Um, so we might want to pay, like fasten the pace up the game. We want to try and maybe move the ball around and keep it moving. Um, whereas, you know, with the Canyons, that they can run all day. So it's a different type of game. So there, there is different tactics to attack different teams. But I think your biggest Achilles heel in sevens is looking too far ahead. Like you can't be thinking about your third pool game, which your third match of the day, which is probably the most important pool game. And forget about the first two because as well ever since I've started playing since 2016 where you know you could probably get through the first game and second game might be tough and then go switch on for the third that's not the case anymore every team's good every team can can win the win the tournament on the weekend and that, that's one of the best things about sevens like there's 16 really good teams now yeah sure so do you, you have uh, do you have a favourite tournament then, out of them all? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think Hong Kong has to trump it. Like, it's so cliche. Um, I'm sure if you ask a lot of sevens players, they would say it. But mm. there's something just majestic about the whole week. Like, the whole city, like, they know you're there. They love it. It's, um, it's just massive. The lead up to it, the atmosphere in in the inside the stadium i think there's a statistic out of all the alcohol consumed in alcohol in hong kong annually five percent of it is consumed in those three days inside that um stadium so it's wild um i've just never played in a like a in in an atmosphere just quite like it like twickenham's fantastic Uh, dubai is awesome when it's filled and um what else is great cape town like they're all selling out but the lead up for the whole week in Hong Kong, um, it's special. So, you know, if you ask a lot of seven players, they might say the same thing, but it, it really is a good week. So I guess sometimes you get with the Hong Kong sevens, you see the fans, I guess, perhaps drink too much and you get um, streakers. As players, yeah. do you get sort of annoyed when you see streakers or do you just find it funny? Oh, look, oh, I've never had a streaker um, when I've played. Um, I've only ever watched it watched it happen from from my bedroom um and i've thought it's hilarious but look you're so focused out there not much throws you like you know 
Hong Kong, there's a lot going on in the stadiums and you only like temporarily switch off to realize it. Otherwise it's all, it's all just a blur. Um, I'm sure if someone ran on the field naked in front of me, I would probably realize. Um, but look, I, I couldn't answer that question. Honestly, I wouldn't know, but props to them. They've had a good crack. <laughs> Probably a bit too many to drink. <laughs> There's also something I tried to find was the story of the Australian team trying to break some Guinness World Records. Can yeah. you just elaborate a little bit on, Tab, on what you were trying to break there? Oh, we, we had, um, in, rug, in Australia, we have our like, Rugby Union Players Association. It's kind of like our union for mm-hmm. Rupa. And one of the workers for Rupa was also an official Guinness Book of Records judge, I guess. Um, Peter Fairbairn, Peter Fairbairn, um, anyway, he's a good lad and he kind of got in, in talks with Ben O'Donnell, uh, one of the senator in our team, he's a good fella and we said, look, look, wouldn't it be a good idea if you guys could break some really like weird, um, quirky, uh, Guinness Book records and, and see if, uh, how, see if you guys can get your name in the, in the big book and we're like, yeah, it'd be a great idea. So, Bod kind of um, thought of looked up the history of the Guinness Book Records and found out what we could potentially beat. And um, you know, we had a crack at throwing the tort like a tortilla as far as you can, or um, there was one at uh, un like make undressing a doona and then dressing a doona cover back up as quickly as you can. Um, I partook in the most rugby tackles. I can't even remember it. It was two rugby bags kind of stood up, standing up um, 10 metres apart and I had to kind of tackle one, get back on my feet, turn around and tackle the other one and as much as I can in a minute. Um, I thought it would be, be really easy so I kind of pumped myself up and, and I went for it. And the Guinness Book of Record guy, Peter, he, he was timing and he stuffed the time up. He's like, oh, you missed it. And I missed that by, by about two tackles. And then I was cooked. I nearly vomited. I was all over the shop. And then afterwards, he walked up to me and he was like, oh, mate, I stuffed up the time and you still had about eight seconds to go. I was like, oh, (laughs) mate, what are you doing to me? So I had to get up and did it again and I I got it. But they haven't been um, officially signed off or anything. I've been chasing Bod all year about it because I want my name in the book and I've pushed myself to my limits and didn't get the reward. I'm just, I'll, I'll, I'll chase him up about it because it should it should be justified and yeah, be in the book. It'd be good fun. Make it a hashtag, justice for Henry. <laughs> yes, I, you should press it. <laughs> so there was another funny story with the um, hit shot with yourself in the Melbourne Cup, and that's what went viral about <laughs> last year. Do you mind if you oh. again just talk about that? Because yeah, yeah. Look, it seems like I'm caught in the middle of all these kind of <laughs> stories. Um, now this was this was a good one, um, and it was it was at an important time too. We were playing Samoa. Well, we were playing in the Oceania qualification for the Olympics. So, as you boys know, from the 2018-2019 season, the top four automatically qualify yeah. for the Olympics. So we missed out. We didn't come top four. So then you have to go to your region, play in your region, and the winner of your region, just the top win, the winner goes through to the Olympics. So we played in the Oceania tournament, which is a pretty tough tournament. It's like Europe and Oceania. It's pretty, very competitive. So we had to play Samoa. And it's a, it's a pretty low-key tournament. 
you know, there's no crowd there. You're literally just playing in Fiji in the back of Suva. But it is so important because if you don't win, you've got to go play in a rep charge a week out or not a week out, a month out of the Olympics to try and book your spot, you know, your last, the last spot in, to go. Um, so it was a stressful week. You know, boys were nervous. Um, anyway, while we're over there, um, the Melbourne Cup was running running back home in, in, in Australia. And we, our assistant coach is named called Stephen Hoyles. Uh, he's an ex-Wallaby. He's played at the Waratahs and Brumbies. And in, rug, in Rugby Australia, he's got a pretty well-known um, reputation of being a, a jokester or a prankster. I could sit here for hours and ramble off stories and stuff that he's done. He's, he's very proud of it as well. He, he won't deny any of them. Anyway, I'm, I, I don't bet. I'm not a better. So I don't bet on, I'm not, I don't like the tab. I don't punt on horses or the dogs, which a lot of the boys do, but uh, doesn't do it for me. So he thought it'd be a great idea to kind of try and stitch me up and loosen up the boys before the tournament and get me on this race. Anyway, he, um, what he's done, he's made a kitty to um, put like put your name in a hat and pull out a horse and everyone put in like I don't know, a couple hundred bucks and um, whatever horse you draw, that's that's what you get and hopefully it runs well in the race. Little to my knowledge, um, he had cut up the draw of last year's race um, and obviously knowing the the winner of last year. Um, he'd set it all up so that I would pull out the winner. So then I was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, well, I've got a... And, then, and Hoyles, he kind of teed me up. He's like, oh, that's a really good horse, Henry. That's a, that's a pretty good horse. I'd, I'd keep that because then you could bet for the horse. So if, if someone wanted my horse, they could go, I'll pay an extra 200 for Henry's horse. And I'd go, no, 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 I'll pay an extra 300, whatever it is to keep it. So little to my knowledge, one of the boys who was in on it kind of betted me up for my horse. And I was like, oh... So I betted, I went doubled down on the horse so I could keep him because I thought he was good. I knew he was good. Anyway, up comes the race on, on the TV. Um, I was so unaware of it. Looking back on it, it was so dumb by me. Like there's an HDMI going into, from, the, from the computer into the TV. Like Hoyles has got this race up on YouTube, little to my knowledge. And... It's a really good race. I forgot the horse's name. I don't know. He comes from the back of the pack. He's nowhere. Like, he's nowhere. And I'm, I'm at the front kind of watching it. Like, because I think the winner was going to take home about no, 2000 bucks, a bit of cash. Um, anyway, my horse in about 400 to go spits out the, on the back straight and just starts kicking. He just kicks. And I'm like, oh my God, look at him go. He's going, he's going, he's going, he's going so well. Like, he's come from. 10th it's now fifth and i'm starting to carry on like a pork chop like i've never won anything before like this in my life i'm carrying on and this horse just goes and it's this fantastic finish and he wins and i am you know confident and cocky getting up in the boys face like yeah carry on and everyone people that not everyone was in on it and then people kind of started to realize that that was last year's race but had realized that i wasn't I hadn't picked up on it. Anyway, I'm carrying on and then Walshie and Hoyle's here just shaking their heads and then we go to this new room. I'm still walking 
everyone's kind of filming me. I'm getting this weird vibe. I'm like, why is everyone so like upset that I won? Blah, 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 blah. And I walk in and into this, this another room and the Melbourne Cup's on. And I was like, what's this? And one of the boys was like, oh, it's the victory lap, mate. Your horse is doing a victory lap. And I was looking at it and they're getting into the, the kind of the starter block area. I don't even know what it's called. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't win, did I? And oh, the laughter and like, I was just the center, like everyone's paying me out. It was just so bad. And it was all filmed and it was all cut up to make it look even worse. And the internet does amazing things and then off it went and (laughs) never let that one down. But in saying that, I got to experience winning a Melbourne Cup. No, not many people have been able to experience that. You have the same feeling (laughs) of doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Just didn't quite get the reward. You say the team camaraderie is sort of the best part about it because that seems like quite a close-knit group of boys and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like... That's what I really enjoy about the sevens as well. Like just smaller squad, but also when you're two or you're 13, so you're tight. So when you go out and do your team activities, you can go as a whole group rather than 15s, such a big group and there's such a big tour group. So there's a lot of, like you're all close and boys and all that, but like you have your groups and your posses that do your own thing with the sevens. You really do become a close kind of family on tour and, for Oceania, that was such a stressful time for us all. I think um, that playing that on the Thursday before we started playing on the Friday, it was it was it was what we needed. Uh, but unfortunately for me, at the expense at the expense of me. Yeah, sure. So for yeah. any of the sorry for there any of the go, new yeah. boys, um, is there like an initiation or anything to get into the Aussie Seven squad? <laughs> oh. Yeah, back in my back when I debuted, there was, but oh, not so much anymore. Twenty twenty, you know, yeah, sure. got me be a little bit more careful. But nah, yes and no. Um, you cop a bit of flack until you've debuted, but it's all fun and games. And then once once you debut, you get the the monkey off your back. You're the first person to give the flack back <laughs> to someone else. So not really, not so much so anymore. Um, usually just a few beers afterwards, which is good fun. And mm. um, see there, you talked about how you didn't qualify for the Olympics, but you got there in the end. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experiences going to the Olympics, like the opening ceremony. It must have been amazing for you. Yeah, really surreal for me. I think growing up, the Olympics were a massive dream of mine. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get there at the time. I loved athletics. Um, but as soon as Rugby Sevens became a viable option to go to the Olympics with Rugby Sevens and became a pretty like a big carrot for me um what some of my earliest memories are the sydney 20 um 2000 olympics so ever since around that time i've really like wanted to go and then obviously been there and been in rio with you know the you know arguably some of the best athletes in the world um it was amazing and um it was an experience i'll never forget um very blessed and honored to represent my country at the olympic games and was hoping to do it again in 2020, but it might have to be postponed or mm. it will be. Sure. So I guess one of the thing about the Olympics is the athlete's village and how it's such like a, almost a mystery for everyone outside it. So I guess <laughs> a couple of questions. Do, um, do actual sort of different countries and different sports interact with each other or do you stay quite, I guess, with each other? So Australia 7 stick together. Uh, um, well, you stay in. So when in Rio, there's, there was... 
it is like it's like a big bubble. It's so strange, um, and you kind of cut you like cut off from reality for two and a half weeks, and you eat there, you chow there, you don't really leave um, unless to compete or after your after your um your uh, event is done. Um, so we stayed in the Oceana building. So I think Australia had. 12 floors and then there's like Fiji on top of us and Papua New Guinea and all those uh, you know, nations. Um, and then next to you will be like the Polish building and Poland might share it with, uh, I don't know, Norway. Um, and then next to you is on the left of you will be uh, China. They'll have their whole building to themselves, just depending on the size of um, the Olympic team. Um, so it, it's really weird, but then you're kind of, congregate and eat at the same place as this big dining hall fits like 10,000 people just goes forever and there's every cuisine you could ever think of it's all it's all available um and I guess you've, you've kind of forced to interact because you live with each other for two, two and a half weeks you eat with each other not you're not always going to get a table with 12 seats ready to go like you're going to have to sit down and start up a conversation with with some athletes who've never met before, but you know, it's, it's, it's a magical thing is pretty amazing. And you see some pretty, some big dogs there and you're like, Oh God. Like I remember when Usain Bolt came in and the whole, um, well, I was, I was at the eat, the eating tent and Usain Bolt came in, I think after he won his one and two. And it was like, uh, like a movie star rocked up. It was like all the, all the other famous athletes all then just ran to him to try and get photos. It was, it's pretty surreal. Mm. I guess one thing about the Olympics is once the teams finish their events, there's, there's the rumors that the massive parties going on within the village. Yeah. These true. Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, when we left, we, we, we finished early. So we were, we started playing on the third day of the game. So we'll finish by um, the sixth day. So we had like, oh, I think it was 12 days. Um, Rio afterwards I was ready to go home by then um don't take me back to Rio it was my last few days there but um yeah so we like we were were finished so we um you know we get to experience the city go out do whatever but it does become yeah pretty fun but you've also got to be very mindful of other athletes that they haven't competed either um so there's a bit of this and that but most of the countries have like home bases outside the tent so there's like an Australian house and like a, a Germany house and a, an American house. And that's kind of like their headquarters. And that's where family and friends and partners or whatever can go and meet you because they can't come into the village. Mm. You can only be an athlete or a, or a, um, a coach to be in the village. Um, so that's kind of where you would meet. And that's where they would hold like functions or these parties. Um, so for the, for the parties and all of that, which do happen, um, you go to these houses and I think the most famous one that was pretty good is the Dutch house. Um, it was pretty cool. I remember I was, you, and you get invited, you get tickets and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of weird, but like you kind of befriend some athletes in the village and then they go, okay, I've got 20 tickets to the Dutch house party tonight. Okay. Hectic, <laughs> mad. See there. Um, I remember I was there one night and one of their athletes won a gold medal in, um, I think it was, oh, I can't even remember. And like, it's a big ceremony. Like they kind of like walk up like a kind of red carpet 
everyone's kind of there. Everyone's in orange, the whole house, like it's a big mansion, but it's all in orange. And there's like a DJ, like a famous Dutch DJ there playing and like they get the medal put on them there. And there's like orange confetti everywhere. And like, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and like everyone's welcome. So it's not just Dutch as obviously our Dutch athletes, cause we were there, but there's athletes from all over the world. They go to the Italy house, all of that. It's, it's pretty cool. Sure. Mm. So I guess you spoke previously about the development of sevens in the future and how it's, I guess, almost becoming a separate game, which is definitely true. So I guess in the past, you almost saw the sevens program was maybe a gateway into the 15s, but now perhaps it's even the opposite with some cases like the USA and Canada and so on. Um, and I guess Australia just built their Australian Rugby Development Centre, which would have been pretty good for all the sevens yeah. boys. Where do you yeah. see, I guess, the sport going in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think when I left school, it was definitely a stepping stone and it was still just viewed as a stepping stone. Um, I think with the Olympics now as a option um, every four years, it's becoming more of a full-time role and you're seeing full-time specialised sevens rugby players just have a career in sevens. Um, I still think it can act as, as both. I think it's a fantastic stepping stone into the 15s game as for a young fella. Um, so often you see really good 18, 19-year-olds go into the 15-man's game and play a pro game and get broken and bashed and kind of spat out the other end and that's it. Um, or they just haven't learnt the skills yet or, or they're one-dimensional. Where sevens, you learn so many skills. Like You can't just be good at one job in sevens. You kind of have to be good at everything and maybe like a master of one. Um, so... Sevens allows players to really develop their game and then go and then move on. But yeah, it is becoming more and more likely, like more and more not likely, more and more often that players are staying in sevens and becoming specialised players. You look at Dan Norton, um, Tom Mitchell and players like that from England. Um, yeah, USA, they, they really lead their way with, for rugby in their, in their country. Mm. Um, I think just as one final thing before we finish is your best seven that you've ever played against. So I was wondering oh. if you give us a little bit of insight. Yeah. Tough. There's been some, there's been some good players. Um, I think played against, um, I remember for forwards, Akiriwani at prop was, was ruthless. And they even played him on the wing sometimes. I remember I was like, oh, Please don't come out to the wing. Um, I remember he, Sydney Sevens, he palmed me in the face, my eight dirt in front of 50,000 people. It was pretty embarrassing. But he was just so dynamic at, at, at Sevens. Um, pretty, yeah, he was very good. Um, hooker, Cogger Smith, um, playing for the Springboks now. So strong. So strong. Um, just workhorse. Uh, it's a pretty good player. And then I definitely have on the other prop, I can't really pronounce his name, um, Leona Nakawara, the, um, the Fijian yeah, sure. second rower, plays for Racing, or he did pay for Racing Metro. I think he got... <laughs> couldn't tackle him. Couldn't tackle him. Like, well, you could tackle him, he'd offload. You couldn't... You couldn't it's almost un like unmarkable. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's like a glitch. Um, Jerry Tuai at nine, uh, another glitch. 
stepped. But he was he, Jerry Tuo is also like so good on the ball. Like you make a break against the sevens boy against the Fijian boys, and they tackle you at, like at the feet of Jerry Tuai. Bang, he's on the ball and he's taking it. Um, playmaker, it's really important to have a good playmaker. Playmaker because sevens they're all ball runners and everyone's so good at attack. You need someone to feed those attackers. So someone like Cecil Africa, just recently retired, yeah. like ideal playmaker, like Silky, you know he can you know he can jam and you can know he can pull out the hot stuff when he can. But like the space he created for his players around him is phenomenal. I th- I think Louis Holland is very similar for us. Um when Louis on, his ball playing skills are, are unreal. Um, centre, I'd have um, Vakatawa, the the French, um, another glitch. It's almost impossible to tackle and stop the ball from moving at the same time. Um, and then on the wing, Sebelo um, Sanatla is just prolific try scorer just scores tries and that's his job um so so like rugby fast with ball in hand powerful could sniff out a try any day of the week um mm. gosh if you've rolled that team together give you a bit of head noise be hard to stop <laughs> you guys heard it here first so i guess the question yeah. that we are <laughs> a question that we asked all our um guests is their favorite moment of their career what would yours be Ooh, um, there's been, oh, there's been a, there's been a few. I've been, I've been very lucky and blessed to have an enjoyable career so far. Hopefully it still goes. Um, got a few more years in me to create a few more, but I still remember, um, uh, probably in my debut year, um, 2016, I hadn't really, I guess, made a name for myself as of yet. And I was still young and coming through and we we're playing England in the Sydney Sevens quarterfinal. Um, and it was the inaugural Sydney Sevens. It was big hit, all sold out. It was the first time I could play in front of my family and friends at a professional level. Um, and it was all tied up. Uh, no, we were down 7-12 with about a minute to go in uh, the second half. And I came off the bench. And, you know, the coach at the time, Andy Friend, I was threw me on. It's like, just go have a crack, mate, whatever. Showed some faith in me. And I, I was able to score on the try with about, I don't know, 30 seconds to go. We were unable to convert. So it was 12 or so it then went to extra time and the extra time in sevens. It's, it's like golden goal. Um, first point wins. So pretty, um, you know, you're pretty stressed out. Like seriously, one missed tackle that's over. And it would be so good to knock the palms out in a home tournament and going to a semi-final. Um, and again, I found myself in a, in a position down in the late in the first half and I crossed over in uh, the left-hand side corner to knock them out and put us through to the semi-final. And it was just kind of all happened so quickly. And yeah, it was special. It was really special. Um, you know, once that moment sunk in, I realised it was, it was a pretty big moment that I won't forget for a long time. Huge. Um, Henry, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I think that's about all we've got time for. 
but that was really interesting, especially because all we've had really is 15s players and 15s coaches. This has offered a completely different view on everything. But um, yeah, thank you so much. No, boys, anytime. Um, pleasure coming on. Um, like I said, I've been watching a few of your podcasts and it's uh, really great to be a part of what you guys are doing and hopefully uh, you can get a few more sevens boys on. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully. See if anything can get up to the Guinness World Record holder that we've had first. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> thank you so much and thank you everyone else for listening. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.